G'day, this is an abridged version of the episode that you can hear in full by signing up at uncomfortableconversations.substack.com slash subscribe. Enjoy the freebie. G'day, premium primo legends and all other sundry free riders and freeloaders and hangers on who I also love very, very, very much. Uh, This is a treat from the archives. Gee, there's a lot of good stuff. I was going through some of the classic Zepps interviews that are stashed away on various hard drives strewn about in boxes. And uh, there are some gems, which it's so lovely to be able to share with you and to feel like we're actually getting an appreciation for after they've been merely collecting dust. Today, one of my favorite comics, in fact, one of the funniest people I know, rendered all the more funny because he's so thoughtful about his craft and about the world and about what it means to be a conscious person alive on this ball of rock circling a big flaming gas ball. He's a great guy. Mike Kaplan. Here, I pick his brain about his creative process, about what comedy is, about how he records sets. Like, how does a professional stand-up comedian really do their craft? And we wander off into our analyses of Jerry Seinfeld and Jay Leno and various different processes of people who we love, Louis C.K., in spite of it all, uh, and then expand into a conversation about life, about creativity, about procrastination, about how does he how does he actually take those little nuggets of ideas that come to him and make something of them, turn them into a real, not just comedy set, but career, income, life. Um, so I hope you enjoy this. Uh, if you have not yet subscribed and you're listening to the free version of this, I'm not going to badger you. Suffice it to say that very soon, probably the next episode, there will be a benefit, an additional benefit, in addition to all of the existing benefits uh, for every all of the subscribers, including on the free tier. So you don't need to put in your credit card information yet. But if you haven't bothered to even enter your email address just to get on the mailing list, you may want to do that now, just saying. Uh, either way, love having you. Hope you enjoyed this chat from the archives with Mike Kaplan. Welcome to We The People Live. Uh, this is a special version of We The People where I sit down with a creative individual and I talk to them about their creative process. And who knows what will happen? Mike Kaplan. I and you are the only people who could know what will happen. Now, Mike uh, is, uh, I don't have anything in front of me to read out what he's been on, but you know him from Letterman, you know him from Conan, you know him from Craig Ferguson, but frankly, he should just leave that <laughs> off the bio because I, nobody cares about Craig Ferguson I, anymore. I probably wrote it when that happened. I yeah. Just, I'm in the moment in my bio writing. I'll tell you another thing that you'll find very interesting, dear listener, about Mike Kaplan, or not, which is don't make the mistake that when you see on his bio he's performed on The Tonight Show, that you assume that it was The Tonight Show with Jay Leno or The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon because it was The Tonight Show with... Conan O'Brien. There you go. It was... Uh, you were one of the four people who skirted through, that, who threaded that needle. Limited window. I had the good fortune to be in the studio audience in that brief few months when he was helming The Tonight Show. Who'd you see? Do you remember? I don't. I was on with uh, James Cameron was one of the guests Ooh. and Wanda Sykes. It was a a fun panel. That sounds well. I don't really do panels. I mean, are you I, thinking of the Jay Leno show? I don't think I am. I 
But uh, I mean, mean, it was a fun roster of guests yeah, at that, the couch. That's a hundred percent what I mean. I mean, you're from a different country, so mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. you don't understand when I say things wrong. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, I agree that the panel on the Tonight Show is regularly excellent. You may also know Mike Kaplan, dear listener. For uh, I'm, today, I'm just going to call him dear listener. You may. Do you have a problem with that? They're dear. They are dear, and they're listeners. Yes. At the moment, they're certainly not viewers. I mean, we don't have a webcam functionality unless they're. You know, NSA cameras wouldn't in the building. Wouldn't that be weird if there were just people looking at us as we're talking right now? I mean, there are. There's like another studio right to our. It's true, but they're not, they don't seem to right. be looking at us. No, yet. no. What if, if we we, we can us. get them to? Uh, well, don't take your shirt off, Mike <laughs> Kaplan. I, don't pull your balls out. That's a joke. I already was naked. <laughs> uh, so, Last Comic Standing was another thing. Oh, and yeah. And then um, America's Got Talent. Oh, sure. Was another thing. Yep. And you've also got a Netflix special. I do. I'm happy. Uh, I hope that. I don't know how. And you've also got a podcast. There's just, I mean, if we go through everything, then we're not going to have any time to talk about creativity, Mike. Please. I mean, I've, those are all the places that I've been creative in the past. Mm -hmm. Those, that that is an exhaustive list. Yep. I've never done anything but those. And now we're just going to read the phone book because you've exhausted your creativity. And uh, they say that somebody who is funny can read the phone book and be funny doing it. But that was also at a time when phone books were still a thing. So, what <laughs> and, when, and when they were hilarious. This guy could read code off the internet. One zero zero one one zero one one zero zero one one zero. It's a song I wrote. You got me. Uh, you remember the yellow pages? That were those were fun things when they existed. Sure, sure. They weren't sure. quite the phone book, but they had businesses that would pay to be in them. Oh yeah. And uh, I always got a kick because you'd look at the beginning, and uh, the first few businesses listed would be. Aardvark Plumbing with like eight A's. And you'd be like, oh, that must be the most reliable plumbing service because why else would they need to have eight A's in their name to be at the front of the yellow pages? Do you know what's funny? Another thing that I haven't been in yet, but will, I mean, I have been in it, but it hasn't come out yet. Flying uh, car. That, do you know Henry Phillips, the comedian, uh, wonderful comedian from L.A.? He put out a movie, he created a movie, wrote a movie, and uh, somebody else directed it, and he was in it, and you know how a movie works. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm it's, familiar with the concept. It's a hilarious movie called Punching the Clown that came out maybe six years ago, I want to say, and he filmed a sequel to it. And part of this, part of it is he's playing himself as a comedian, trying to uh, garner more, you know, get more fans. And so there's some internet. I play. I know what the word garner means. Garner, yeah. Uh, I I don't know what fans means, but I was <laughs> playing like sort of you know a douchey internet whiz who was like trying to discuss with him like ways to get his videos to be more viral. And that was one of the things like we're like if in the movie like one of the plot points is. If you put A, if you start it with A or a lot of A's, then a lot more people will see it first because it'll True. be up at the top. And so the movie, the sequel to Punching the Clown, is called And Punching the Clown. <laughs> I like that. And it's coming out at uh, South by Southwest this 2016 and this, then hopefully many other places. This is the problem of my life, which is that my name is Zeps. Oh, so yeah. always at the back. Your successes are so much more valuable because you had yes. to wait for everyone else you. to get called before you. Thank you. Other than you're a white man. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, if, uh, if it's all of, you know what it is mostly, it's all these black people. Mm-hmm. Who are ahead of me in the pack? Uh huh. Because B comes before Z. Oh yeah, and that's how black people then Zeps. Then Zeps, exactly. I uh, yep, so, uh, roll call black people here. But, the, but W for white people also comes before Z. Everybody. Everybody I mean, does. do you know what's first is though Australian. Oh, that's true, yeah. If we're yeah. going by broad categories of people, mm. which I don't think any of this is how it works, but how what many about you, yeah? What what about the category of Big penis. Uh, 
You know that category, huh? Yeah, huh? I get. Yeah, that's at the huh? front of the line, also. So yeah. uh, sorry that you're. I mean, good congratulations mm. on your uh, accomplishments. Um, you. When did you come to America? I came to the United States of America. Uh, well, I came to visit occasionally. How long have you been living? I've been living on and off for eleven years. Hmm. Uh, 11 years ago was the first time I spent more than, you know, a couple of weeks here when I spent three months here. But then for the first probably five, for the first sort of three or four years, I oozed back and forth between New York City and Sydney. Ah. And, uh, New York City. New York City. Oh, I like that. You I could get a little t-shirt. Get a show. <laughs> get a show. Okay. Do something. Oh, did you say t-shirt? I could get a t-shirt made. I'm like, TV show. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just thinking a t-shirt. Something with, starting with T mm-hmm. and ending. T-shirt. Yeah. Yep. Shirt or a V-show. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, and then then I was here properly from 2007 to 8. I like uh, I like properly as a, like, that's not a thing that we say here. Yeah, some other people have said that. I was here properly. <laughs> like legally, <laughs> legitimately. Yeah, legitimately. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I was, yeah. I was here in a I was here in a in a in a more consistent. It was oh, more consistently. I completely understand what it means. But why are you getting on your high horse about properly when you people don't understand the meaning of the word fancy? I'm not I'm certainly not on any high horse here. Why is ketchup fancy? Uh oh, I mean Why is mayonnaise fancy? Maybe like, fancy in my language means like it's really putting on airs. Like it's the queen. The queen's throne is fancy. And ketchup so is not fancy. What ketchup is trying to do is to do what those aardvark plumbers are trying to do. Just, you know, do anything to stand out. They're not saying that, you know, this is as fancy as a queen, but they're like, if the queen used ketchup, here's <laughs> ketchup the ketchup. Ketchup is not even in the category of things that could be fancy in my But people who get language. ketchup don't know that. But everyone uses ketchup. I, I guess. Well, then, then the queen uses ketchup. And like which fancy, kind she's gonna use? like, I don't even know how. It's like saying, f- like floral ketchup or something like there just aren't any flowers in ketchup there's no fanciness about ketchup even I, the fanciest ketchup in the world wouldn't be fancy i i thus far i've been taking the side of the people who named fancy ketchup just you know i guess to try and get to the bottom of this like mm-hmm. have a you know a spirited debate mm-hmm. as is the the nature of how things work like on the, your show the lincoln douglas uh absolutely exchanges the fancy ketchup debates uh but yeah i think your floral ketchup point is well taken i mean Again. Or it's like calling it ardent ketchup. Or like important ketchup. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Uh, well, anybody out there, we have a lot more brands for you if you want or need. There are so many things. That, there are so many places we could go with ketchup. But oh, that, yeah. but this is, has all, dear listener, been merely a prologue. A prologue of banter to get us warmed up and caffeinated. Oh, sure. Before the bulk of the conversation. And you can tell it's the bulk of the conversation because I'm putting my hands together, uh, like with my <laughs> fingers together, in a in a in a prism almost. You can only assume that from the sound of voice mm-hmm. because you can't hear or see because when no one's fingers. watching us because yes. they're listeners, not exactly. viewers. Um, Here comes the bulk. <laughs> so, what about creativity? And uh, that's not a question. <laughs> what about creativity? <laughs> Great. Okay. So what's the deal? What's the deal with creativity? What is the deal with creativity? Uh, no, how did you go into? How did you decide to go into a field which was so full of uncertainty and uh, where most people don't succeed nor even manage to make a living? Great question. Uh, I mean, I think that life is full. Number one, life is full of uncertainty. Uh, and the jobs that say my parents had, you know, my parents were teachers. 
that was they they grew up in a time terrible job. Selfish, oh yeah, yeah, selfish job. Boo. They just love teaching. They don't care about who they're teaching. Uh just in it for themselves mm-hmm. and the chicks and the dudes and the money and the non-binary people. But uh, you know, they. The, at least the lore, the the American dreamlike lore was that oh, you go to school, go to work, go to college, maybe get a job, have that job forever, you know, pay a mortgage, own a house, have a family, and now like there are almost no jobs that you like if somebody gets out of school and is like now I'm at this job and then they'll be at it for decades. Oddly enough, teacher. Oh yeah, is one of those. One of the only ones. Yeah. Uh, but almost every other, like when people are Public like servant, how, anything yeah. that involves the government and unions is probably okay. But very, very few things anymore. Do okay, it. in one way, yes, uh, for sure. But yeah, so they people whenever people ask the question from outside of show business or art artistry, as oh, I wish I didn't say it. Uh, <laughs> outside of artistry, fancy artistry. Yeah, yeah there's nothing fancy about stand up comedy. Uh, but I did have a friend who used to have a show called The Fancy Show, where everybody, really? everybody dressed up. Whose show was that? Uh, Bethany Van Delft, and I think my friend Aaron pseudonym. Judge. Got to be was, a pseudonym. Oh yeah, uh, not a real person. Yeah. That's actually me in a dress. So, uh, <laughs> I when people ask, when people ask from who are not you know comedians or musicians or people pursuing a career in the arts, when they're like, well, how do you deal with like not having a you know a four hundred one k or like a retirement plan or uh, you know, knowing where your money is going to be coming from in six months. And then, you know, with the events of uh, like 2008 ish, uh, when markets crashed and like people who worked like Wait, gi- markets crashed. Uh, I'm going to call my broker. <laughs> call him uh, a couple years ago. Uh, time travel broker, please. Um, <laughs> you know, when, when people who were working at gigantic, you know, Wall Street companies are losing their jo- like everybody's, you know, so many people losing jobs that were thought to be, you know, uh, safe that you'd be like, oh, you have this job, mm. you're all set. The reason that you go into this job, you're like, you don't like this I'm job. I'm an auto yeah. worker in Detroit. <laughs> yeah. Nothing can touch me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that doesn't necessarily answer the question of why go. I mean, why go into comedy then? Because, uh, well, if nothing is certain, then do the thing that you want to do, and maybe that thing, like, you know, I like but, it. Yeah. But, there, but yes, I take your point. I mean, my dad is an actor in Australia and uh, has been, uh, you know, was an actor for more than forty years without having to do anything else apart from act. But of course, in a medium-sized market like Australia, you, you are going from job to job to job to job the whole time. And he he noted that, you know, he did electrical engineering at university and a lot of his friends who thought that he was crazy for going into acting because it was so risky ended up getting retrenched when they were in their 40s during the, you know, the, the uh, I guess, the economic rationalization of the 1980s and 90s, the Reagan-Thatcher years, which were reflected also in countries in other countries like Australia. And he was sort of more resilient. It reminds me a bit of, I don't know if you know Nicholas Taleb, who's this economist who wrote a book mm. called The Black Swan. He he basically predicted- I saw the movie. A different thing. Okay. Different thing. Fair enough. Uh, he basically predicted the meltdown of 2008. And his his big life thesis is, he was re- recently written a book called Anti-Fragile, which is about exactly this, which is that the best way for you to be is not unfragile, but sort of anti-fragile. In other words, that's different from having security. It's actually the opposite of having security, that the countries that work best, the economies that work best, and the individuals who work best are ones who are used to having to be nimble, are used to having to adjust to change. And if you'd looked, for example, at Syria 10 years ago, you would have said that it was a very stable country in the way that we would look at Saudi Arabia and say it's very stable. It's got very strong institutions of power. But it's actually 
deeply vulnerable because it has no experience of change in Hmm. the sense that a country that you might think of as being totally fucked up, like, say, Lebanon, which is always going through change, or Italy, which has had more governments than years there are practically since the Second World War, um, they're actually fine and always will be fine whatever the world throws at them because they have such an experience of being nimble. And in the same way, I sort of think that like being an actor or being a performer like we are gives you a good level of resilience which people who expect to have that stable job and then get thrown out on their ear don't have. Oh, yeah, especially comedy in particular because like if you're an actor, you know, I mean, you can be a working actor uh, or you can be somebody who you could get a get a big break and you're in a movie and now you're a famous person and you don't have to go through all the steps of, you know, the various changes that can happen. But as a comedian, it's very like there's maybe very few stories of people being amazing at the beginning and getting, you know, plucked from nothing and then thrust into greatness. Most of the the great successful comedians are people who were horrible comedians or not certainly not successful. Almost everybody was not successful for a good chunk of time before they became as successful as they are. Oh, you're I mean, (laughs) well, he just knew how to work that MySpace. But Dan Uh, Dan Cook is a good example of what I'm of what we're talking about. Oh, sure. Someone who who has a certain appeal to a certain band of of people who becomes incredibly famous quite quickly but then doesn't have the wherewithal to be able to actually go play the long game and and quite quickly sort of deflates i mean but he also did put out uh, a special last year. I mean, he's still, he's still, he? oh yeah, he's he still, still working. Thing? He's still doing comedy. He's okay. not the up. Uh, once you're the biggest thing, then once you haven't heard of him for a while, you're like, did he, did he die? <laughs> but, but he didn't. He, you know, just he continues to be himself. And even if, you know, if he had millions of fans before, like you can survive with thousands of fans. Yeah. Like, I mean, the, you know, the thousand true fan model is one that, you know, if not an exact scientific number, is like, if there's a certain number of people who will buy everything that you do forever, then you'll be fine. Is that a is that a thing? Is it the thousand fan Yeah, thousand model? true fans. If you have like, a thousand people who will consume whatever it is you produce. Yeah, if you okay. put out one album a year, if you have like a podcast that you have to pay for extra things, or, you know, like whatever, whatever it is, they'll, whenever you come to their town, they'll come see you. Well, that's yeah. reassuring to me, because what I'm going to do is start retroactively billing everybody who's been listening to this podcast go on to patreon for, yeah <laughs> they're not gonna they're not, they don't know it right now oh yeah but in the future once i once i go to a, a, a full fee model then i'm gonna send everyone bills for this very episode oh yeah but it's gonna be very reasonably priced at 19.99 per episode it's funny i uh and then if you think about that a thousand <laughs> listeners you know for several shows a week sometimes oh yeah at 19.99 a show i'm gonna be raking in the cash i mean but like to to now address a a sincere version of it where if you're like hey would you give me a dollar to listen to a thing for an hour mm. and if you have a thousand people that will give you a dollar then you make a thousand dollars for the by hour. the way don't yeah. worry people this podcast <laughs> will always be free uh there will be additional we will eventually go to some kind of oh here's an extra premium thing that maybe you can pay for or something oh, yeah. but i think that yes you're right i'm i'm never going to go down i don't have the profile for a start to go down the model of, for example, an Artie Lang who was recently on my show and who uh, who was talking about how his his podcast he has like only seven thousand he has less than fewer than ten thousand listeners, but they all pay five bucks a month to listen. That's almost a quarter of a million dollars a year. Oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> good work. Good for him. Good I mean, for Artie. it's almost a half million dollars. That's what I said. Is that what he said? I think I said that. I thought you said quarter. I might have gotten my quarters and halves mixed up. Yeah, in America. You're good at math yeah. in your head. <laughs> a little bit. Also, why do you call it math instead of maths? We call it mathematics because it has an N on the end and an S on the end, so it's maths. Uh, that's a that's a fine question. I I think it's just because I like language you, develops you are, differently. You, you are the repository of all 
American information for me I mean, in this half hour. Abso- I mean, I also did study language in graduate school. Why are you so bad at answering my questions about fancy? Uh, I think that I'm good at it. <laughs> uh, uh, to answer your other question, it's... Uh, so from a, or the same question that I've already answered, but from another direction, like about my getting into comedy. It's interesting to me, like thinking about how my parents were both creative people. They were both musicians, but they both, uh, you know, monetized it. They both played, you know, played in orchestras, played in marching bands and things. But their main jobs were the the solid, you know, teaching job. They're like, oh, we teach, but teaching music, the arts, which also among teaching jobs isn't the most secure because it's often, you know, arts and music are the thing first things to get cut because, like, we need our kids to know math. Yeah. Uh, not musics. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> musics and chips. And uh, so I remember, like, I, I was obviously, my, I was made to play the violin from a very young age. My mom wanted me to, you know, value music. Uh, and then when I was in high school, I, like, is when I started playing guitar and loving it. And I was like, oh, man, like, if I could, and that's when I, the dream, the, the dream seed developed of, like, if I could do anything, uh, which is like what I always ask anybody, like, if you could do anything, what would you do? If you were, if you, if money was no object, if you could, you know, have whatever job and somebody's like, I will fund your job. And so I didn't think of it like that at the time, but I was like, oh yeah, if I could, if I could do anything, like my, my reach, my stretch goal would just be to play music and have fans, have people buy my albums, get to tour. What I didn't know what shape, it, I didn't have a specific shape. I was just like, I, I like playing songs. I like writing songs. Like, people, my friends like my songs. And, like, and why have you failed so dismally in achieving that goal? Because I accidentally succeeded at comedy. But uh, I was, I in college, I was in a few singing groups. Uh, I was in an acapella group. I was in a choir. And then I left those things to focus when I turned 21 on pursuing the music career. I was like, I think the way that you do it is to do it. Like, there wasn't as much, you know, I think now there's so many podcasts and, you know, websites and things that can point you to, like, oh, yeah, if you want to do this, do this. I mean, it's going to be hard. And uh, But I remember I was just like, well, while I'm in school, at least I can give it a shot. So my senior year of college, I just, like, looked up on the internet, pre-Google, whatever, you know, hotbot, Yahoo, <laughs> search. I was just, like, looking for clubs in Ask Boston. Jeeves. I had a friend who was who played cello in a rock band and asked him where he played, and he, like, directed me to some places. And I was it was very naive. I was just like, can I do music at your place? And they're like, what's your draw? How many people? Like, do you have fans? I was like, I'd never do. Uh, <laughs> and one of the places that I found was a comedy club. Uh, called the Comedy Studio, uh, which is in uh, right across from Harvard in Cambridge, and it's like a place where when I started going to shows there, is that where you went to college? Is that were you just dropping an H bomb? No, I went to Brandeis, which was outside of Boston a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. like twenty minutes, and then I went to Boston University for grad school, uh, and but it was near Harvard, mm. <laughs> Harvard adjacent, <laughs> also near MIT. A lot of schools. Do you know a quarter of the population of Boston? I believe is college students. Wow. Uh, that explains so, a lot. Oh yeah. Uh, so go to go in the summer. It's uh, real empty. Um, but there is some summer school. So I I went to this. The comedy club was like, sure, you can come here and uh, per- perform for seven minutes. If that's you know that was yeah, sure. Uh, like they didn't have an open mic, but they were just sort of a newer club at the time. And they were like, yeah, if you want to come on like you know a Thursday or a Sunday, like you know, and we'll see how how you do and mm-hmm. uh, eventually play two three and a half minute songs and we'll be done with it legitimately I was like oh but at these music open mics or things like I would get like you know sometimes 10 minutes 20 minutes you know like lo- you get longer sets as a musician so I remember I when I talked to Rick Jenkins the proprietor uh, uh, and guy who ran has run the comedy studio for the past 20 years uh, 
he when we talk about like when I first came to him about how like clueless I was about the way that, you know, comedy worked. I was like, ooh, five, seven minutes. I, was, I guess I can play two, three minute songs. <laughs> and I, I mean, I did. And some of my, my songs were like not formatted for comedy. Some of them were funny, but like they had like choruses that repeated, which isn't like the ideal for comedy. But it was still like unless you're Adam Sandler, he oh, has lots of songs which come back to the same glorious joke. No rules. Yeah. Everybody can do whatever they want. Just guidelines that I follow. I'm not going to tell anyone else too mm-hmm. how. To, but I was like, oh, when Pete, when I say the same thing again, people aren't surprised the second time. I'll, yes. say, I'll say a different thing or just stop the song after the first course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just I learned in between the songs, I would talk and it was and people would laugh at the things I said that weren't necessarily planned. But I was like, oh, that's. That's fun. So I sort of started thinking about like writing, you know, just silly. I'm like, what if I said this? For fun? 